would you join me in saying thank you to the Elmore family for sharing in the Advent candle reading today. Um, and hi to everybody at Bush Lake and West Tonka and uh, here gathered in Chanhassen and online. So glad to see you. And I'm going to speak today about worry and peace, but not quite yet. I first just want to say hi. And it's so good to be home. I think when you travel a great distance, I mean, you know, you kiss the ground of home. And the Westwood Seven, as we called ourselves, returned late on Thursday from Togo, West Africa. And that number one question that comes up is, where is Togo? And we got the map to just remind you where it is. Um, we want to teach geography here as well. And Togo is on the west central part of Africa. It is known as the birthplace to voodoo. We witnessed it firsthand. It's real, it's powerful, it's dark. And it is also um, the gateway to where slavery began. Slavery leaving, uh, slaves leaving Africa to go to the West Indies, United States, South America, etc. So we went to a couple of slave homes, kind of rocked our world. That's another day, it's another story, it's another message. But that's a little bit about Togo. And why did we go? I want to just put and connect the dots together for you just a little bit. First of all, we went there because we wanted to see firsthand the move of God. God is on the move in Togo in a way that is like the first century, the fast acceleration of gospel sharing and church planting. And we wanted to see it because part of our Love Builds initiative this past year, for those who have been with us, for your generosity, I'm telling you, it's having kingdom impact for eternity right now because we are able to deepen our partnership with the Timothy Initiative and the Sixth Degree Initiative and see the opportunity of disciples making disciples, um, the gospel being shared, churches being planted, so that even in the last few months, over 150 churches have been planted. We got to go to some of those churches and witness it. I want to say thank you for your generosity. God is on the move. We want to see it. And uh, what a powerful experience that is. And then also we went there because we wanted to serve our partners and to see the collaborative that's happening. For the first time in church history, the denominations and the mission organizations that are there are linking arms to share the gospel and plant churches together as one. Think about that. I mean, we, we silo everything. They're coming together, which is contributing to this fast acceleration that we witnessed. So we went to serve them and also to teach um, these young pastors, most of them young, 70% of the population is under 30. And that's what's accelerating gospel sharing because they're denouncing Buddhism and they're receiving Christ and they're planting churches. This is one of the conferences. We had a couple of conferences, sort of about 50 pastors that were in this gathering. And the next photo shows that they went to the table and did just incredible work. I mean, we started at 9 a.m., finished at 5 p.m. Um, I taught much of that content through the course of the day. Can I just tell you, the equator's hot. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, it was a 100-degree heat index. I was just soaked wet. And they didn't sweat at all. But they just <laughs> stayed focused. I'm telling you, they know the Word of God. They know the Word of God. But they want to know how to lead and I think we need that help too. So we were able to come and help sharpen what does it mean to lead the church that has called you, God has called you to serve. And then we went there to pray because as we say around here, prayer is our way forward. It's how God works in these conversational places. So we wanted to be intentional to pray for our leaders on the, on the ground there, the front line, because they're leading every day in darkness. And um, for the people of Togo, and what a, what a great experience. Can I tell you, every day we were encountering the reality of voodooism and idols at 
villages, on roadsides, sacrifices, sometimes animal sacrifices. Never seen anything like it. It's alive and well there, unfortunately. But we had one particular day in our itinerary, we were going to do a prayer walk in a village that has been saturated with Buddhism for centuries. And the team was feeling anxious and some worry about that day. We get into our van to make our way there, and there's a little bit of tension, and we prayed and went to God, but we get off the bus. As we enter into this, what we're expecting to be this incredibly dark village, there are some children who had been in the Sunday school experiences we had who are there to swarm the van as we get out of the van. I've got a picture here of Adam. This is Heather Wilford's a husband, Heather, who heads up our outreach ministry here. And as soon as we got out, these kids swarmed, and these two boys grabbed his hand as we just started the walk. And all that worry and all that anxiety just... And we went and prayed um, through the neighborhoods and for God to do his work. And there's a new church in this village. We pray for that pastor and his family. I'm just telling you, Jesus said, let the little children come to me because children calm us. You know, unless they're three years old and you're, you're dealing with all that. But these kids were just part of that beautiful journey. So I want to get into the message today talking about worry and peace. But I just want to pray for Togo. I want us to pray for Togo. Would you join me in that? And let's just give our hearts to the Lord. Oh, Father God, thank you for your work around the world and that we get to be part of it. We pray for our leaders on the ground, our partners. We pray for these new pastors who are really trailblazing new territory into darkness, but with great light. We pray for the people of Togo, that they would denounce Buddhism and respond to the beauty of the gift of life in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for us, because we likely need a good dose of peace because we got our own worries we're dealing with. So as I open up your word today, speak to us, teach us, show us your way, your wants for our life, that we might live in them and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we continue our Advent series called The Gift Exchange, kind of this idea that have you ever given a gift to someone and they give you something in return far greater than you ever gave to them and you go, wow, really? And this is what God does all the time. And that's my message today. It's simply this, that give God your worry and he'll give you his peace. Now, give God your worry and he'll give you his peace. And you go, wow, really? Yeah, really. That's a good gift exchange. And that's what we're going to speak about today. And we go back to the birth of Jesus. After Mary gave birth to Jesus, remember the angel of the Lord had those beautiful words and said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. One angel got that assignment and made that proclamation. I mean, can you imagine being that angel? I mean, in the heavenly realm, when we are united in the heavenly realm, and, and you know, I want a conversation with that angel. And what was it like when you got that assignment? I get to announce that and proclaim that, but can I tell you that with that one angel's proclamation, the other angels are just with enthusiasm waiting to join in, and they do. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That the joyful news um, of Jesus' birth has two primary purposes. Do you see it here? To glorify God and to give us peace. 
To glorify God is to simply speak about the, the goodness of God, that God will reveal his name and his face and his goodness to all people on the face of the earth in Jesus Christ, his son. And to have peace in your life is to know that Jesus will settle our unsettled hearts. And the reality is our hearts get unsettled. And uh, I want to speak a little bit about your heart being unsettled and the settledness that Jesus gives to us in that. That promise, by the way, of peace is proclaimed, yes, when Jesus first comes by the angel, but it's also proclaimed um, right before Jesus leaves the earth in which we um, are, are living. And, you know, no one likes change. And the disciples, the friends of Jesus, no, don't leave. Please don't leave. We don't like this kind of change process. And they are unsettled in their heart. And he settles them with this promise. And it's a great one for us to hold on to. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So we pause there and say, we have this affection, this energy that goes to the way of the world, but it's giving us something that doesn't satisfy that longing for peace. He gives us something the world does not give. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And I want to look at what he gives to us today. The world will give us all kinds of worry, but he'll give us this incredible peace. So give God your worry. And the promise is he will give you his peace. And yet it's hard, isn't it? Um, we worry. We don't want to worry, but we do worry. Um, I worry. Um, this morning, even before I came, I said, Lord, let this truth just transform my heart. I mean, I know you so well, but sometimes we take for granted the very gift that God gives to us. And I sat down this morning and I wrote down three worries that were right there on the top of my own brain. And I'm not going to tell them to you. You have your own, so figure them out. You, you have them. How many of you have a one thing in your life right now that brings some worry to you in some measure? Just raise your hand. See, we, we don't want to worry, but we do. And Jesus knows this. And it's Christmas time, after all. And we sing or hear this song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And really, it's just a commercial. <laughs> because most of us know it's the most stressful time of the year. That, that we're busy. And so we ask, can I do it all? Can I fit it all in? Um, we're overextended. And so we're asking, can I really pay for it all? Or we're remembering in this time of year deep hurts and deep losses because we've lost a loved one in our life. It's changed everything about our gatherings. How am I going to get through it all? And then you compound that with the complexities of what's happening in the world today. Isn't it humbling to take in the news? It's hard to even take in the news. I received a card from one of you um, recently, and I want to share the content of it because it was so insightful. It says, hi, Pastor Joel. I'm sure you have a lot of these concerns coming your way, but this has been plaguing me constantly, and I just need some answers. With all the evil that is going on overseas and here in the United States, we can no longer assume we are safe. Oh, that, I just wanted to pause there. What does safe mean? It means to be in a place of peace. We're not feeling the peace or safety that is the longing of heart, and she is not either. She says, people who are driven by madness and lies are, somewhere, are somehow finding the power they seek through violence, which disturbs me. My question is, how do we keep the faith when our physical safety is threatened? And what do we do in the meantime? That is, how do we keep our worry from swallowing up this promise of peace 
That Jesus is in essence saying that all the peace that you need in your life, you already have. But we tend to let the worry become elevated over and against that peace. Well, let's take a look at it by first defining worry. Let's move from a conversation to peace to the reality of where most of us live and battle, and that is the place of worry. What is worry? It really has a twofold um, biblical definition, and the first one is to be pulled apart. We just... We get pulled apart by differing forces and it creates this worry inside of our lives. But the other definition I think is um, more picturesque of our reality, it means to strangle. That worry tends to strangle us and it really begs the next, next question and that is, what does worry do to you? If you think about your own life, what does it do to you? It's probably one of these several things that worry has this incredible capacity to affect how we look at life and how we think, that worry skews our judgment. It's hard to make decisions when we're in a place of worry. It's, it's just hard to be able to move forward and to think clearly. It, it, it also affects our demeanor. When you worry, is it harder to smile, to have fun, to even laugh? Certainly it is. It affects our emotional well-being in a number of different ways. It zaps us of energy. It steals away our confidence that we need for life. And that's not all. We find that worry also affects our physical health. It, it makes us sick, worry does, sometimes with migraines and backaches or whatever the case might be. But especially we know that worry affects our relationships. It creates distance between us and a loved one, which can become discouragement, and it can even lead to detachment because worry so consumes us. But ultimately, worry affects our soul. We get so lost in the moment of what's taking place that we forget to connect with God because I can't get my eyes off of the moment's troubles and what's taking place. So no wonder that Jesus commands us not to worry. You know how many times he commands it? Shocking to me. 32 times. Jesus says, do not worry because he knows we worry. And so he says it again and again to remind us that he's offering something new. Don't worry. I have you covered. I've got your back. I'm going to give you peace. And personally, I'm glad that Jesus is our ruler, our leader, the one who makes this promise of peace, aren't you? Because when you think about um, the rulers, the presidents, um, the kings um, of history, of nations, like Hamas right now, where you know the intention of Hamas is to use a constant state of worry and anxiety for the purposes of keeping people in their place and keeping their rule in its space. They want to power over. So rulers have always done this, but Jesus doesn't do this. That He doesn't want us to be in a constant place of anxiety and worry. He promises a constant state of peace. So we're learning how to live into that peace that he promises to us. A life with no worry is what we want. So the practical question today that I want to address is, how does this exchange happen? And I could summarize it in one word, and that is repent. Repent is a word that means to change your mind, to move away from this and move toward this. Move away from the world that we tend to tap in to satisfy the longing for peace that we have and turn toward God, who is the only one that can satisfy that longing for peace in your life. And Jesus gets real specific about it. In fact, in Matthew 6, it's, it's, it's got quite a bit of text in it, but it's amazing. It's a seven-layer cake. He knows our struggle. And so I looked at it and I go, well, can I do a seven-layer cake? Because most sermons are three layers. It's three points. But I go, it's seven layers because he knows we are gonna struggle with worry in 
each of these layers. So I'm going to briefly touch on all seven layers. So enjoy each bite, okay? And, and take it in because I think it's going to speak to you. What are you most worried about? And does it relate to some of the things that he refers to here as he makes a contrast to the world and what it offers and what he offers? First one, he says, don't worry because life is more than food or clothing. I don't even know how conscious we are of this, especially in the Western world, that we have a cultural worry around the food that we take in and the clothes that we wear. We now live in a disposable clothing industry where we're changing our clothes every year. You used to buy clothes that you would wear for five years or 10 years, and now it just all goes out. We replace it. We just get consumed in our lives with having these things. And we find that Jesus is giving us a reminder in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And he's getting clear about our worry culture to these things, saying that we're really afraid of losing two things. We're afraid of losing pleasure and praise. We're afraid of losing pleasure, that is, having enough food to eat on one hand, but then also enjoying with our palates the foods that we get to enjoy, which I think God gave us that. We can get a little consumed with it. We now have a foodie culture. Um, and some of you are self-confessed foodies. I know that you are. I wouldn't call you out. I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but Pastor Clint is a foodie. <laughs> I'll call him out because we're brothers together today, right? He's a foodie, honestly. He knows a lot about food. And, I go, and, and you know, part of that is to be clearly um, appreciated, um, but we tend to just misappropriate it. And the second is praise, and that is having approval from people around um, how we look. We want to look good. What we wear. You know, we don't ever have anybody say to us, you know, like, who dressed you today? You don't want that being said to you. Like, you missed the boat on that one. And I've had that said to me enough that I just, every morning, ask Carrie. I asked her this morning, is this okay? Uh, because I, I don't want somebody to say to me, who dressed you today? Um, but Jesus is saying, if this is what's most important, you're, you're losing sight of the greatness of life. He's He's saying put a check in the things that you're giving as priority energy to your life, which, by the way, you can be a foodie and be okay and still keep proper priority. But what he's saying is life is meant for, for more than just physical pleasures, um, the enjoyment of food or having enough of it, but rather to have an enjoyment of God. This is, this is what he says. Just listen. Luke 12, 21. If your life isn't rich toward God, it will be filled with worry. Oh, there's a check in my heart already. If you're not enjoying God in your life right now, then I'm going to assume that there's an elevated sense of worry around the things in your world, the people in your life. But when you enjoy God, it diminishes that worry. Or he says, life was meant more than praise of people, but actually the approval of God, John 5, How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet Make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. Uh, how much we need people to, we're people pleasers because we want people to approve of us in our journey. And so we make decisions for people approval rather than God approval. And the focus of our lives, the greatest thing of life is to have the approval of God, to be approved unto God. How much energy do we give to that versus to each other is what Jesus is calling to us. Give your worry to God and he will give you his peace is the promise as you live your life 
enjoying God, as you live your life seeking his approval by walking in obedience and in his likeness. So there's a priority shift that he's giving to us. That's the first thing. That's the first layer of the seven-layer cake. The second one is that your heavenly father values you. And I love this because we just long to belong. Every little boy and girl, every grown man and woman wants to know that we are loved, that we are valued. And he's elevating that you're never gonna get that from the world in a way that satisfies it here, but only in God. He picks it up in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Circle that. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they the birds have their work to do every day. You know, they're digging up worms and they're snatching bugs and they're patting their, their nests with twigs and leaves. And while they're about doing this work, there is a beautiful picture of them just trusting God because they just know every day God is there, that God feeds them. So they do their work, believing that today God is there to feed them. And tomorrow, God is there to feed them. And so really the call here for us is to go about doing our work with a conviction that God is there. He's with us today. He'll be there tomorrow. He's not changing his presence. And I find that to be really comforting to give peace. And it it triggered in my mind an experience I had several years ago. I was on a panel um, on a subject related to marriage. And a University of Minnesota um, professor was there who had just completed research on sustainability of marriage. What makes marriages last long and be meaningful, both and? And he had several things that he said, but one, one of them that he said in the research was that couples who practiced rituals of greetings had sustainability. In other words, how you greet each other in the morning really matters. Pay attention to how you greet each other. If you're not greeting each other at all in the morning, there's probably some distance, which will be carried out through the day. A simple act of greeting. Now, I'm an early riser. Carrie's a little bit later, and uh, carries a lot later sometimes. But, <laughs> but when I wake up and I leave, and sometimes I'm gone before she's even up, um, I greet her. And she's sleeping, and I still kiss her on the cheek and wish her a good day. I don't know what she can take in or not, but ever since hearing that, I go, it really matters. And I started to think about how it is we greet the day. When you woke up this morning, did you have worry on your heart? Were you thinking about all the things you had to get done? Did you start to get into fever mode already before you even got out of the bed? Because that can be the tendency. We can't control how we wake up. Sometimes we just wake up with worry. But then I had this thought that the psalmist tells us Jesus, our God, never sleeps or slumbers that he is always awake. Now you think about that practically. So when I wake up in the morning, who's there the first to greet me? God. And he's saying, good morning, Joel. And I miss the good morning if worry in the tasks of the day consume me. And I thought, how beautiful is that? The birds understood that God greeted them every morning. And we are wise to understand that God greets you every morning. So when God tomorrow morning says to you, good morning, Joel, Joel, you are wise to say, good morning, God. That's a great way to start your day. Isn't that simple? It it brings a peace to the day where the worries of the world don't get to have precedent over the face of God and the greeting that he gives to me in the morning. Be at peace with the greetings of God. And then the third is don't worry because it just doesn't do you any good. I I just love the pragmatism of that. Look at the verse says. Can any one of you 
by worrying, add a single hour to your life. I just love that Jesus gets so pragmatic because we worry, we worry, we worry, and he's just saying, you know, what good is it for you? It isn't going to change anything. It's useless. It's harmful. It creates misery. Can I just ask you, when you're really worried, do you feel good about life? Or do you feel miserable? Worry just makes us feel miserable. And he's calling us into this place that we're not going to add anything to our life. That worry is just Velcro. It sucks the life out of you. It's not adding anything to your day. It's probably taking from your span of life, this worry is. So be at peace. Important part of the world that we live in that just wants to take everything from us. And he wants to give us this peace. And then the fourth one, he says, don't worry because God beautifies you. Oh, man. How many of you just want to be beautified? (laughs) Think of the money we spend on being beautiful. And what he's saying is that he beautifies us by the Spirit's presence. This is is the, the text. He says, and why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Don't be consumed with how you adorn yourself trying to appear beautiful in the presence of others when he himself will give you the greatest beauty. He will adorn you in your life. And so when we were just getting ready to board the plane, got a photo of a, of, of a flower because it's, we're right by the equator. Can I just tell you, it's very green. And there are flowers that are just gorgeous, things you've never seen before. And I, I took a picture of this flower. And, uh, and later looked up what is the flower it's called. I didn't even know it. It's, it's called the th- um, crown of thorns. And it's, it was just brilliant red. The photo doesn't even capture it. In fo- it was just beautiful. The whole tree was filled with these incredible flowers. And what Jesus is saying, the flowers and the grass um, don't have their beauty. They're not adorned by their spinning and their labor, but by what I give to them. It's not what they give to themselves. It's what I give to them that he gives to us something that absolutely adorns us. And you might think, well, God hasn't adorned me. Look at me. Or how about the most destitute people in the world, the most marginalized people of the world? But I just came from such a place. And God, when he is present in the lives of those, I mean, he adorns them with an incredible beauty. I got a few pictures of that one too, as long as we're in a photo gallery. These three little guys, I mean, this is at the Sunday school class. These, these little kids have Jesus in their life. And just their beauty. God has ordained them. They have such a simple way of living. It's not complex with all the options that we have. And it's just a contagious joy, you know? And this picture of Naka, who is one of the spiritual leaders, we partner with Naka. What a story. She lost her husband three years ago. She's in her early 50s. You never know it. She looks like she's 30. And she is just full of the joy of the Lord. I leaned into some private time with her just to learn about her loss. I'm telling you, she radiates the beauty. She is adorned in the joy of the Lord. That's what he does. He gives an internal beauty to us. Or this little guy here, I'm just gonna say, I wanted to take him in my suitcase and say, you're going home to Minnesota. (laughs) His mom wouldn't let me do it, but that's the way it goes. (laughs) I'm just saying the adornment Jesus speaks of is not about your labor and spinning. It's what he gives to you. As you walk in obedience with Jesus, you walk in the spirit, his beauty will be evident by those who see you. And, uh, and know you. The fifth is simply this. Don't worry because your heavenly father knows your needs. Boy, think about that. We have so many needs. And some of you today are just crying out. 
a friend or a spouse, or, I wish you just understood me. I wish you understood my needs. And here we get this promise from Jesus as the text continues in this seven-layer cake. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Friends, he's saying, don't be like the pagans. Who are the pagans? The people who don't run after God. They run after the things of this world to satisfy. You're just being like the pagans if you're doing this. You you don't include God in the journey. But your heavenly Father, there's nobody who knows your life like the heavenly Father who created you. And even the people who you think know where you're at don't know you the way God himself knows you. And he's just saying, turn to me. And all that worry that starts to bundle up in your life, just bring it to me and I will give you my peace. That's the gift exchange that he promises for us in this time and place. And I'm so glad that he does. So what are you running after? If it's the things of this world, you're no different than those who don't include God. But if it's the things of God, he'll give you what you need. I gotta keep going. That's the sixth part of the cake, that all these things will be given to you. So don't worry and he calls it out pretty powerfully. Let me put the verse right up here. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things that you think will give you peace on this earth will be satisfied in Christ, will be given to you as well with the kingdom. What is the gospel that Jesus came to preach? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Don't be thinking of heaven out there. Someday I'll die, and I'll have the fullness of the Lord there. The fullness begins now. That he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus, but heaven is on earth now. Jesus ushered it in. So we get to enjoy the kingdom of heaven even now. My invitation is be a kingdom guy and be a kingdom gal. And yes, in partial measure, we'll see a fulfillment of that longing of your heart even here, but it will be made full in the life to come, and all these things that we think would satisfy us here and cannot will satisfy us in that heavenly fulfillment of the Lord's coming. So we find that he's giving us this call. Jesus is rejecting every selfish way of gaining personal security and calls us to seek first his kingdom. That With Jesus coming, he's put in motion a vision for global restoration, and friends, we are part of that restoration. And as we step into that restorative work, the peace of the Lord resides in us in fuller measure. And then the seventh in that layer cake is simply his mercies are sufficient for today's troubles. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me speak about it. The text really outlines it so beautifully. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and it does. You got enough trouble in your day just to get through the day, amen? Well, maybe some of you are just totally content. There's enough trouble for today. So I use this analogy um, from Lamentations. His mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness that every day when you wake up, you get a new bucket of mercy. You're wise to roll out of bed into that bucket of mercy and let him satisfy you in the course of that day. Don't borrow from today's bucket of mercy, Jesus says, for tomorrow's troubles, because his mercies are sufficient for today, and you're gonna diminish the mercies that are needed for today, and you won't be at peace. You'll have worry in your journey. So give God your worry, and he'll give you his peace. He settles our unsettled hearts. So are you dealing with worry? Certainly there's a worry that you're dealing with. I have my own. Is it pulling you apart? 
Is it strangling you in such measure? What do you do? Can I keep it simple? Just receive Jesus as Savior in your life. Then you will be able to give him your worry. And then if you live as Jesus, as Lord of your life, you can live in and appropriate the peace that is in you because all the peace you need, you already have. That's as simple as it gets. It's reinforced by Paul in Romans 15 when he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. He's gonna fill you up with joy and peace as you trust him. And then in Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, justified through faith, there's the believing, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us all that we need. It's already in his hands. We have peace because of what Jesus does for us, not what we do for him. You can't strive for this peace. You receive it with Jesus as your Savior and Jesus as your Lord. I got a couple minutes. I'm just going to close with just a brief story from Togo and uh, hope to unpack some of this journey that we shared together. But I've got a picture of a village um, that we went to. And you'll notice there that there are idols outside. This is at the gateway to the village. There are 11 idols there. They're creepy. And you find them everywhere. Um, on roadsides, they sacrifice animals. You can find dead animals right by the sacrifice that you find. This is the entrance to the village. They don't worship the object. They worship the spirit that possesses the object. In this case, there are 11 chiefs from that village that each one of these represent that are holding the powers over this given village. So last Sunday, when you were worshiping here, we were worshiping at another church and having a great experience, and I want to, it was a village like this, and um, met some amazing people. Bernard was there. Bernard uh, it's 20 years of age, but when he was 17, he lost his dad. I learned something. In Togo, when you lose somebody, it's very important for you to go to funerals. So people invite people to funerals, even if they don't know the person who died. It's that treasure. When you think about going to a funeral, you probably have a hard time getting yourself to go, but they invite people to come with them. And Bernard had invited his, his good friend Simon, and Simon was going to join him, but he invited a complete stranger by the name of Stephen, who lives in... Um, an hour away from this remote village. But Stephen said, I will go. There's a picture of Stephen. He's in the blue shirt right there. And he said, yes, I'll come. And then you, you have the guy to his left is um, Alex, and the guy to his right is Maida. I'm telling you, I was captivated by the stories of these two guys. So Stephen, he comes to this funeral service. He doesn't know the person who's died, didn't know anybody there, but Simon, who invited him. And as they're all gathered, they're coming from two different villages that have been warring with each other, at odds with each other. They don't like each other, and they're there in this given place, and there's nobody there to preside over the funeral service. Can you imagine going to a funeral service and you're just waiting? It was awkward. So Stephen, who is one of our partners with the Timothy Initiative, said, I'd be glad to preside over the service if you'd welcome that. They said, well, please do. So Simon gets up, and he tells the story of Jesus. He tells the power of Jesus' love and God's love for them. And he tells of the life transformation that happens when you receive Christ into your life as Savior and Lord. And the place was lit up. And they came up afterwards. Could you come back again? It's an hour plus drive. So he came back again and again. And numbers of people started to denounce Buddhism, put their faith in Jesus Christ with Stephen. Two of those 
persons are, Stephen, by the way, becomes the pastor. He starts a church. This is part of that church um, growth experience. And he plants his church and um, you see there's Stephen in the blue shirt. There's me. I'm just leaning in, captivated by these stories. The guy next to the blue there is Alex, who um, never felt the power of Buddhism and was transformed by the gospel of Christ, is now being discipled, could eventually become one of their church planters. He led his wife to faith in Jesus Christ, but shortly thereafter, they lost a child. The child died, and the uh, witch doctor said he was cursed and therefore was troubled because he put his faith in Christ and left voodooism, but he said that the power of Christ's transformation in my life is the only power that has made a difference, and the peace of Christ is in me. And then he leads um, made it a faith in Christ, who comes from that village with the 11 um, heads that were there, and it was a Buddhism, and they dedicated um, him as a baby to Buddhism. So his life has been saturated with Buddhism. That bondage is broken by the power of the gospel. The family disenfranchised, doesn't want anything to do with them. Now the church has become his family, and he lives with peace. This is what Christ does. Give him your worry, and he will give you his peace. So I want to invite you, would you open your hands and receive this prayer? Father God, we come full of worry, sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, forgetting that you are the giver of peace. So for each person here, would you give them the wisdom to give you their worry to the end that they could enjoy your peace, that we could do that together and we could be your peacemakers in a troubled world so settle or unsettled our heart with this promise we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen.